stories is what Acts chapter 17, he spent there in Thessalonica, and then he left, and this church was established. That's amazing. How many know that God can do whatever he wants to do? Amen. And uh, I was encouraged by that, but um, Paul also, he, he says this, one of the writings that Paul says is not to lay hands on a man suddenly or not to put someone in a position too fast. Well, in this case here, he has three weeks, and so he has to basically teach and turn over. And there are times in ministry and uh, where it warrants us to turn things loose quicker than what, you know, maybe uh, uh, the church grows fast or whatever the case. And so Paul, the reason that he had to leave Thessalonica is because uh, so there were some Jews in Thessalonica. Most of Thessalonica was Gentiles, but there were some Jews there. And they got to talking to the magistrates or to the government officials there because Paul was preaching that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And while he is preaching that, they misconstrue what he is saying, and they, they say he's trying to cause an insurrection against Caesar and so they are running him out of town, and he is being persecuted. So he is running for his life. That's why he was there only three weeks. But um, so uh, anyway, so Thessalonica was a town of about 200,000 people, a little bit bigger than Bedford, just a smidge bigger than Bedford. And uh, that was a, a pretty big hub for back in, back in that time. That was a major city. It's what we would call a major city. Uh, it was a seaport, and it was a commercial center. So the themes for uh, Thessal Thessalonians, uh, there's, there's two things. It talks about the coming of Christ. Everyone say the coming of Christ. We uh, oftentimes, we don't hear that preached very much uh, about Jesus uh, coming. So that this is one of the books. That's one of the main themes. And the second theme that you can find inter interlaid in this book is holiness. And everyone got excited about that one, didn't they? Holiness. So the coming of Christ and holiness. So coming or the Greek word uh, meaning arrival or presence. So the return of Christ is a recurring theme throughout this book. Um, the return of Christ is mentioned in every chapter of this epistle. And it can be summed up like this. Whatever difficulties and suffering, sufferings as believers we experience in this life, the coming of Christ is the true hope of all of us Christians. Amen? That's it. Hope is, and you've heard me say this, is the expectation of what? Coming good. Hope is the expectation of coming good. Everyone say that. Hope is the expectation of coming good. How many have hope in Jesus Christ? Amen? So also another theme in this book is the need for holiness. All right. And holiness. Um, and so... The, uh, so there's, it, it, this, this amazes me. So there's, Paul speaks in three weeks. He does teaching on eschatology, talking about the coming of Christ, okay, uh, to there, to the Thessalon uh, Thessalonians, balanced with holiness. So with, uh, with practical living, holy before God, and what is, uh, that's what this book is about. So one of the only books that mentions the, the taking up or the rapture. Uh, in the New Testament, and so uh, and it, it's one of the focuses. So this book was Paul's letter to the Thessalonian church that he started after hearing the report uh, of them from Timothy, his young protege preacher. I like Timothy because he shares a name with me. 
All right, no one liked that joke. All right, that's okay. Uh, but he, but Paul, uh, but Timothy, he continued to instruct the young church in doctrinal things about also in practical things. And, and in three weeks, he spoke on eschatology, holiness, living right, and being persecuted for Christ. In three weeks, made a, made a, a major difference. And so the church started and maintained after Paul left. And that's, that is really impressive when you think about it, and especially if they were under persecution. So um, looking at this, uh, the, uh, the first verse here in First Thessalonians says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father, and the Lord uh, Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. So there's Paul, and Silvanus <coughs> is Silas. Everyone say Silas. How many remember Paul and Silas? So his full name was Sylvanius. So I'm sure maybe Paul had been talking to Silas's mom, and she said she must have called him Sylvanius. Um, and so uh, he mentions them, and Timothy, they all traveled to Thessalonica, and Paul and Silas had just been freed out of the Philippian jail. So Paul's on his second missionary journey after he had left the Philippian jail, and he came to this Greek city. And so Thessalonica comprised of mainly Gentile believers who all turned from from idols to God. How many know that, that our, our lives should be focused on Jesus Christ and on the Lord? Amen. And it's easy for idols to creep in. But these people had realized that they were serving idols and not the true God. And also um, there were Jews there who also believed in Christ as well. So like the Galatian, like uh, the Galatians and the Corinthians and the Ephesians and the Philippians and the Colossians, that's a lot of, a lot of uns, huh? Um, he starts by giving an introduction, which is grace and what? Grace and where there's the grace of God, there is the, where there's the grace of God, there is the, oh, come on, you guys know it. Where there's the grace of God, there is the peace of God. And, and, and he always pairs those two. And man cannot experience God's peace until he receives God's grace. Amen. So, so if you need a subheading here, um, he, it, it, he begins talking about the Thessalonians' faith uh, and examples. So he says this in verse 2. We give thanks to God always for all you constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Remembering before God and, fa and, and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So here, Paul starts a prayer at the beginning of this book, a prayer of thanksgiving. Not to be a recurring theme, but how many know that our life should be full of thanksgiving? Amen. Our prayer should be full of thanksgiving. Um, and I think we can learn something from Paul here. When he, when he is writing someone, he begins to thank God for them. And we should be thanking God for the people in our lives, our family, our bosses, our friends. And we, we ought to thank God for those people. How many, how many can appreciate a, a good friend? All right. You ought to thank the Lord that you have a good friend. All right. So that's what Paul is doing here. And, and he, does, uh, he does a prayer here, and he does a prayer in the middle of chapter 3, and he does a prayer at the end of chapter 5 in this book. It kind of breaks the book into... Um, uh, three different or uh, multiple sections here, and, and he says this in Ephesians 5.18, kind of parallel here, in everything give thanks or in all circumstances, right? And at the end of 
First uh, uh, Thessalonians chapter five verses fifteen through eighteen. It, it says that you know, and and everything give thanks and and give and and give praise in all circumstances. So, this is a great reminder to live our lives with what thanksgiving, with thanksgiving. It, easier said than done, right? Sometimes it's hard to to give thanks, but we ought to be grateful for all the things that God has done in our life. Um, and I, and it just you know God has just been consistently uh, putting this theme in front of me, and maybe it's because I'm a little hard headed, but it's something that I need to learn, and it's something that I need to walk out every day. You ought to get up every day and give thanks to the Lord above. If you get out of bed every day, you ought to say, Lord, thank you for the activity of my limbs. Thank you, Lord, for keeping me another day. Thank you for, for letting me get up and be able to go to work. Somebody say, oh, I don't want to thank the Lord for that. You ought to thank him for that. Amen. And so I love this theme of, of, of mentioning uh, you in prayer, and I wonder how, how our church and how the world would change if we would do the same thing when we start thinking about other people. When they cross our minds, if we just said, Lord, will you just bless that person today? Lord, will you help them? Will you give them guidance? Um, uh, you know, I pray for uh, my wife, and, and, and you should pray for your spouse. It's important that you pray for your spouse. You say, well, I don't get along with my spouse. That's even a better reason for you to pray for them. Not so they'll do whatever you want them to, but so that, that you will just, you know, lay a petition before the Lord. Lord, help my wife. Lord, help me to understand. Maybe, maybe I'm misinterpreting something that my wife's saying here. Help me to see her through the, through the lens of love like you see her, Lord. And it's amazing to me when we begin to pray for people um, how our perspective changes. I had the opportunity. I called. I just felt compelled. And you, you know me. If I feel compelled to call someone, I, I, the Lord has just has worked that in me. I will pick up the phone and I will call someone and say, hey, I just wanted to check on you. I thought about you today. I'm praying for you. And I, I happened to call one of my friends uh, a few days ago. And he was so appreciative. And, 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 and he said, man, thank you. I just needed that little bit of encouragement today. And I have also been uh, uh, on the flip side of that where someone has called me and spoke something into my life that I needed to hear at that moment. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And so I, I love this. So um, one of the things that, that you know, and you've heard me say this, there are three markers or characteristics of a mature or an active church, and they are faith, love, and hope. What did Paul say to the Colossians? He, he mentioned these three things about the Colossians, their faith, their hope in the Lord, and, and, and their love for one another. So here Paul is also to the Thessalonians almost like verbatim repeating the same thing. He's talking about their faith, their love, and their hope. So how many could say this? We believe in Jesus Christ. Takes faith, right? Ephesians 2.8. By faith you are saved, right? By faith you are saved. So we believe in Jesus Christ and we marvel at what he did on the cross. That is the singular work of faith. Everyone say faith. Secondly, as we grow in Christ, we learn to love others, right? Oh, people that were unlovable, once the love of Christ gets in me, I start to see them through the lens of Jesus. And the Jesus in me loves the Jesus in them. There's an old, old song. Um, that uh, when I lived in Texas and when I would go 
to uh, African-American churches, they would sing that song. They would say, the Jesus in me loves the Jesus in you. And the Jesus in you should love the Jesus in everybody that you see. Amen? And I love that. So, so he says, secondly, as we grow in Christ, we learn to love others as Christ first loved us. Why do we love others? Because Jesus loved me first. That's just the way it works. And when I think back and I look how much uh, the Lord has loved me, I'm amazed. I'll never get over that, that the Lord loves me. In spite of me, he still loves me, and he still loves you. And, I, and, and that should just blow your mind. And, and so when I, when I think about the love that God gives me, I can't help but be and be compelled to learn to love others. And see them through that lens. And the third thing of a mature church is they hope. And that means patiently hopes for the return of Christ. I was talking to um, Cheryl last night. I was here at the ladies' meeting. Yes, pastor went to the ladies' meeting because they have the best food. And so anyway, so no, I was here and I was talking to Cheryl last night and I was talking about hope. And I, and I told Cheryl, I said, I've had this theme in my heart recently about the hope of heaven the hope of heaven has got me charged up and ready to go the other day i was at the gym and while i was at the gym i had my worship music going and i heard this song come on and it was talking about heaven and here i am on the elliptical crying my son's next to me on the elliptical and i am crying and i know people are looking at me and going man that guy's really working out really hard but the Holy Spirit was doing something within me because I was thinking about the hope and the expectation of heaven and how good it's going to be when we get to heaven. And everything in this world that's hard and tough will be behind us and everything will be made right and perfect. And as believers, we have this thing, this hope that we, that we, look, that we look for. And, and it amazes me. Jesus, you know, when, even before he went on the cross, he was able to... <laughs> To go to the cross because he knew that after the cross he had the hope that we would have a relationship with him. Look at this. The night before his crucifixion and after telling them, uh, telling them all that one of them would betray him, what did Jesus do? He girded himself with an apron and he put it on his waist and with a towel he got down and washed his disciples' feet. It's amazing. Why? Because Scripture says it was because he knew from whence he came and where he was going is what John 13, 3 says. He, he knew where he came from and he knew where he was going. So it didn't matter. So he was willing to serve. So knowing uh, we are going to heaven is a key ingredient of maturity because heaven allows us to see the big picture. Paul uh, would say, like, if I had hope in this world only, I'd be a most miserable man. And as believers, listen, we should be the happiest people in the world because one day all this is going to pass away and we're going to be in heaven with Jesus. Oh, you may say, oh, pastor, you talk about heaven too much. I need practical daily application. And, but can I tell you something? When you think about heaven, it puts everything else into perspective. This is your life. Eternity is from this wall to that wall. That puts it in perspective, really. When you, when you think about it, hope, the expectation of coming good. Uh, I, I, it was amazing. I was watching this show the other day, and I believe it was in um, 2013, I believe. There was this tugboat off of the Nigerian coast, 
and it was in a storm, and they, they set out a mayday, and the tugboat flipped and sank, and it sunk down, and it went down 100 feet and landed on the seafloor. And when the other ships came to the mayday, they realized that the boat had sunk. And so they sent this crew in, this diving crew in, and they went, and they, they went to re- retrieve the 12 dead bodies of this crew to get them and back to uh, to be able to bury them. And so this diver, this diver named Nico, he was navigating through the boat, and he was l- looking to retrieve dead bodies, and he had to break into the boat because they sealed the boats because of pirates in the area, and he broke into the boat. When he got into the first place, he found the captain's body when he was going going through through there. And so when he, he did that, he went through, and he's going through, and he's looking for more bodies. And as he's going through, this is amazing. You can look this up on YouTube. As he's going through there, he is looking, and all of a sudden, he's reaching out, and a hand grabs his hand in this boat. Anybody ever heard that story? And, and so this diver, he's like stunned. He's really stunned that this hand, and there, and there was an air pocket in this boat, and one man was there alive. This man named Harrison, he was the cook uh, on this tugboat, and he was underneath, I believe, I think it was three days he was down there in darkness, probably thought, man, I am, I am going to die any moment. I'm going to suffocate because the oxygen that is keeping me alive, I'm slowly breathing it out. I'm going to die. And you could see him that when the video, he's sitting there looking at him. They have cameras on the diver, and he's looking at him. And you could see this guy. He's just struggling to breathe because he's down there. And they, they go into to, to capturing mode to get him out of there to save him. Well, the good news is they get him out of there. They, they were able to rescue him. They were able to bring him out. So they, they retrieved the 11 bodies, but they saved one. But that's the same thing that happens to us with Jesus Christ. What seems like impossibility, Jesus comes in and he pulls us out of a dark and a, and a, and a dying situation. I can't imagine being that guy for three days sitting in the dark just waiting to die. It's amazing. You can look that up. Uh, and it looked grim. It looked grim for us. We were sin-ridden, but Jesus came into the darkness and with an outstretched hand brought hope to a dark and dying world. Amen? And there's hope, and, and his name is Jesus Christ. So here Paul is giving the Thessalonians a, an attaboy. Hey, you guys are doing a good job. You guys are doing great. And remember Paul and Silas, uh, they were only there three weeks. Three weeks. I cannot emphasize that enough. Three weeks, they did a lot of things. And so um, verse 4 says this, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. So Paul gave thanks not only for the good works arising from the Thessalonians, but more importantly, what God had done in them and for them. How many are grateful for what God has done in you and for you? Amen. And so uh, God has chosen them to be his holy people. And God has chosen you to be his holy people. John says this, that, that he has chosen you. You did not choose him. He chose you. So look at this. Paul lays out the reason he knows God has chosen them, and they are living for the Lord. The proof is that their lives showed it. Now, I mentioned that a little bit on Sunday. Now, now our works do not save us. Nothing that I can do in my physical thing in my physical life can save me. Ephesians Ephesians two eight is pretty clear. For it is by by faith, it is by grace that we are saved. It's not not that anyone can boast. There's no work that you can do, but what follows out of a person who has been saved is a life that gets to work for Jesus. 
And so the proof is in the pudding. Everyone say, the proof is in the pudding. And so Paul's saying this about Thessalonians. I see the transformation in your life, and I see that you're doing good things for God. Look at this, verse 5. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Acts uh, chapter 1, verse 8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my, what does it say? Oh, come on, Bible people. Witnesses, where at? In Jerusalem, in all of Judea, in all of Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus, he's promised that to his disciples. He's promised that to us today. And Paul is saying here to the Thessalonians that they had traits that showed that they were chosen by God, all right, and that, that they were in relationship with the Lord. So the, they had the power to believe in Jesus, amen, and they loved others, amen, and they were patiently waiting and hoping for the Lord's return. So Paul says these were all evidence that the Lord had chosen them. Look at this. The next portion of Scripture says this. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you uh, for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me ask you this. Is your life worth imitating? That's a tough one. That is a very tough one. I, I, I mean, I think, it's, I think it's very amazing that Paul can even, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. And I think the reason that Paul could say that is because his life was an imitation of what he saw in Jesus Christ and what he saw in the Lord. And he was, he was following the Lord, and he was saying, be an imitator of me because I am following the Lord. And, and, and so I think in our lives it's so easy, so easy for us to just kind of be complacent and say, oh, I just love the Lord and don't worry about being an imitator. But we are to be imitators of God. Follow what he's doing. Follow what Jesus told us. We should imitate the Lord. We should have a life that is worth imitating. Listen, mom and dad, live a life that your children want to imitate and follow the example of Jesus Christ. Oh, man. Now, now that's, that's a tough one, right, for us parents. Live a life. When you want to get mad, step back, have a little patience, take a deep breath. Lord, how would you respond to this situation? Amen? So how can there be joy in the midst of, of uh, affliction? Um, in a few days, guess what? We're going to have the Super Bowl, right? Super Bowl, some of you care, some of you don't care, right? This year it's an interesting one because we have the Rams and the Bengals. And the Bengals haven't been there in some 30-odd years, and I guess we'll root for them because they're the closest team, right? And uh, and so, anyways, but here's what we know about the Super Bowl. At the end of the Super Bowl, one team will hoist up that trophy, the Lombardi trophy, and be a, be a clear winner that day, right? But they will not be a clear winner without affliction and pain and struggle. Because one team's not just going to roll over for the other team, right? Matter of fact, there will, there will be bruises, there will be scrapes, there, will be, there may even be broken bones, and there, was, there will be affliction, but at the end of the day, no matter what affliction happens, someone's going to stand and hoist that, tr that trophy up in the air, and people are going to cheer, and they're going to be happy, and they're going to be like, I'm going to Disney World, right? 
like they always do. And I can't help but compare the gridiron, the, the Super Bowl, to us here in this life. Sometimes it gets tough. Sometimes it's a struggle. But our hope is that one day we're going to hold that trophy up, the hope of heaven, and say, hey, I made it. And, and, and the Lord's going to say, I knew you could do it. And God shows up in the midst of our trial and our situation, and we find joy in the big picture. Amen? So what is the big picture to, to you and me? That, that, that we're headed to heaven. Verse 7 says this. So that you became an example of all the believers in Macedonia and uh, uh, Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from uh, you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that you need not say anything. So um, in Matthew chapter 6, 2, the Pharisees, uh, they, they like to toot their own horn. They like to tell people what they were doing. And unlike the Pharisees who blew their own horn, the people in, in Thessalonica, uh, they trumpeted the song of salvation. Can I tell you something, church? If we begin to trumpet the song of Jesus Christ and his salvation, all right, not about what we're doing, but about Jesus and his goodness, we will change the atmosphere of our, our, our cities and our county and our surrounding area. And this is what happened here in Thessalonica. They, they trumpeted the song of salvation to such a degree that everyone in the Greek peninsula heard about their radical change and their radical faith. They were not tooting their own horns, but they were tooting the horn of how great Jesus was and how their God was changing their lives. A pure reflection of their heart. Look at this, verse 9. For... They themselves report uh, concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God um, and to wait for his son from heaven. Remember, if you go back to verse 3, Paul says you turned from your idols, which is the work of faith, right? It's the work of faith. And you now serve the living God, which is what? The labor of love, okay? So we have faith, we have love, and you wait for his son from heaven, which is the patience of what? Hope. Everyone say faith. Everyone say love. Everyone say hope. All right. The ideal of waiting does not infer apathy. It doesn't mean that we're just, oh, man, we're just waiting. And, oh, it's just tough. No, it's we are waiting in expectation, in the Greek language, the word is used to, de- to, des- uh, to describe that a mother does when she is anticipating the birth of her baby. Most of you moms were, are, were really excited when you were going to have your first child, right? You were excited. You might have been a little bit nervous, but you were excited about the hope of coming good, right? You were expecting something good. Well, it's the exact same thing that you moms felt. You moms can relate a little, maybe a little bit better than us dads uh, on that. But, but, you know, even as a dad, I eagerly waited to see my child's face for the first time. And listen, we should be waiting in expectation, all right? And we should shout it out, Jesus is coming. And, and, and I have to make sure that my family and I have to make sure that my friends know that Jesus Christ is coming. Look at this. Whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So how does Jesus deliver us from the wrath to come? 
taking out. Look at this. Revelation 6 um, through 19 speaks of the time called the tribulation, right? And eschatology, and, and you may say, hey, what is that? Or the end times. Eschatology is talking about the end times. And it is the time where God pours out his judgment on a Christ-rejecting sinful world. It is the time. This is what it says, that scorpions are going to be released and 100-pound hailstones are going to come cr crashing down. Water will turn to blood. Islands will disappear. There is starvation. There's plagues. There's wars and famine. And, and it's a hellish time causing the people to cry out, who shall save us from the day of the wrath of the Lamb is what Revelation 6, uh, 6 through 17 says. So let me, let me encourage you as a believer and as a person in here, if you don't know Jesus Christ, let me encourage you to miss that time. Because in this, he's talking about how Jesus is going to take us up. He ends this chapter talking about how Jesus is going to take us up. And so become a Christian today. Believe in him, him who the Father sent. So like the Thessalonians, you'll find yourself turning away from the idols of this world, the things that seem important to you in this world, and you turn your eyes towards the hope of Jesus Christ. You can labor under the light burden of love, loving others, loving God. And we can also wait with joy and hope for the Son, Son of God. So look at this. Look at that one chapter. Here we go. I told you we could do it. All right, here's chapter 2. And this is, this, uh, if you need a heading here, this is Paul's missionary uh, uh, or ministry to the Thessalonians. Chapter 2, verse 1 says this. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, but through, uh, though we had already suffered and had been shamefully treated at Philippi. Remember I talked about them being in the Philippian jail. As you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. So what he's saying there is even though we were in Philippi and we had been wrongfully accused and thrown into jail and we were chased by by a demonic woman who a soothsayer and I we cast the demon out in that woman and then we were wrongfully accused and thrown into prison and we were locked down and while we were there we were we were in much conflict and issues it didn't matter because when we got here and we were in conflict hey we want to spread the message of Jesus Christ no matter how hard it gets. This is a good message for us today. No matter how hard it gets in this world, our job is to spread the love and the message of Jesus Christ. And in this conflict, Paul speaks of, it's due to the fact that, that in, in this, and I mentioned this, I alluded to this in Acts chapter 17, that there were Jews who had hired people to falsely accuse him of trying to start a revolution there against Caesar. Has anyone ever falsely accused you of something? Anybody ever had that happen? Is that aggravating? It's pretty aggravating, right? And, and, but look, look what Paul says. Look at this, verse 3. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please men, or not to please man, but to please God who test our hearts. Listen, there is a lack of boldness sometimes 
in the people of God because we're so worried right now about how men will perceive what we say. But the truth of the gospel is the truth of the gospel, whether men receive it or don't receive it. Amen? And so he's saying this, the fear of God obliterates the fear of man. I promise you, your fear of any man here on earth won't matter on judgment day. Because the fear of God obliterates any fear of man. And because Paul answered to God rather than to man, he was free from fear of man. Now, we live in this woke world, right? Where topsy-turvy, where right is wrong. And wrong is right. And everyone wants to say, well, you can't think that way or you can't say that or this, isn't, this doesn't fit to that group. But the truth is the truth, right? It is the truth. Here's the thing. Some things just don't change. If you jump off a 10-story building, you're going to fall because gravity, whether you believe in it or not, is going to take effect. And so in this time... God, in this, in this moment of conflict, we have to remember that we do not have to be, now you ought to not go out and, and be mean-spirited in, in your fear, in, in, when you're speaking of the truth to people, you ought not go out with your Bible and start beating people on top of the head and tell them they need to repent because that's not going to get you anywhere. But you need to tell people in love the truth of the gospel. Now, I, it's, it's interesting because I, I have a, a friend uh, who I saw this week who has gotten himself, a young man, who's gotten himself into some, some weird doctrinal stance. And, and this doctrinal stance is the stance that, that hell is not real. And can I tell you today that Jesus spoke in, in the 12 times that in the New Testament where, where hell is mentioned, Jesus spoke of it 11 times. And they say that, hey, it doesn't matter how you live because if God is truly, truly gracious. God made a way out for us, amen? And God is the antidote. Uh, he's the antidote to timidity in this world. And, and, and we have to speak in love and we have to speak the truth. In a world where we have Facebook and everybody's got an opinion, right? Oh, Lord, help us. Everybody's got 10 minutes of fame on Facebook, right? And everybody throws their opinion out there. It doesn't matter. The antidote to a young Jeremiah. Remember, he was very timid at the beginning of that book, Jeremiah chapter 1. And, and the Lord called him out and he said, Lord, I'm young and I cannot speak. I don't have, and, and, and you know what the Lord told him? I have called you and I will give you the words to speak. And the same thing goes for you and me today. God has called you, and he will give you boldness. Say, hey, I, I don't know. I, I'm a little bit timid. Well, you need to get to the altar and ask the Holy Spirit to fill you up to give you boldness. Well, I don't know about that. You know, and, and, and sometimes we focus on, on being filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and the reason that we're filled with the Holy Spirit is this. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, is to be the Lord's what? Witnesses. Witnesses. That's why we're filled. So in this world that says, hey, hey, you can't speak truth. You can't speak the truth. We ought to look the devil in the eyes and say, devil, you are the liar. And this is what the word of God says. 
So same is true for you and same is true for me. If I'm afraid of my audience and I only speak portions of the truth and not the whole truth, I'll be confounded in front of them. But if I fully preach the gospel of Christ, I'll be strengthened. Amen. Romans 15, 9, look at this. I know that, that's, a, that's a lot. That's a big pill to swallow, right? That's a hard pill to swallow, but, but I, I, I'm just getting a little bit tired of the devil kind of using the people of God, kind of whipping them around. Listen, we are overcomers by Jesus Christ. Amen? Verse 5 says this, For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with the pretext of greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek the glory from people, whether from you nor uh, or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. So whether it's in the business world, whether it's in the sports world or ministry, you ought not to covet someone else's position. How many of you get mad when someone else gets the job that you wanted? We covet their position. I wish I had that position. But then this is what happens. When something happens in that job and then, you know, and the boss comes to you and says, hey, what happened in this situation? You're like, well, they're in charge, right? You pass the buck really fast there. Hey, moving it back to, moving it back to this person. And Paul, he's saying this. Hey, I didn't, I didn't take, I didn't come to take anyone's position, actually. Uh, he actually started this church, but he came in simplicity and honesty, not manipulation and not flattery. I just came to tell you about the love and the hope of Jesus Christ. Verse 7 says this, but we were gentle among you. There's something really powerful in this next section of Scripture. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you. We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. So Paul here, uh, this, is, this is amazing. He's comparing himself here to these young Thessal Thessalonians, these young Christians who were less than three weeks saved, okay? He's comparing himself here uh, to these people uh, as a nursing mother taking care of them. And as he remembers the past, as he remembers their past, he doesn't complain about their crying, but he loves them as deeply as a mother loves her newborn baby. One thing I can say about a mom is when a mom hears a baby cry, she will jump to that baby's, baby's care really fast. She'll, she'll get there. And my wife was so good. She could tell me when the baby was hungry, when the baby had a dirty diaper, when the baby had gas when the baby whatever they, she knew it I didn't know the cries I was always if I had to watch the kids it was always guesswork well I guess it's not a dirty diaper I guess they're not hungry I guess they need to be birthed whatever the case but here's here's her intuition of our or my wife's intuition of our crying kids is that she knew each and every thing that was going on and I wasn't as good as my wife as a mother I wasn't so too, Paul, he's, he's saying this, hey, he's being long-suffering with these young Christians, and he's taking them along. He's saying, I, I'm helping you guys. I, 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 I was giving you the, the, the milk of the word, and he loved them. So look at this, verse 9, it continues on. For you remember, brothers, our labor, <laughs> our labor and toil, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. 
while uh, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. So Paul is com comparing himself here. So Paul first compares himself to a mother, a nursing mother. Everyone say nursing mother. All right. So now he's comparing himself to a brother. Everyone say brother. All right. Um, Paul's comparing himself to a brother here. And he labored himself uh, so as not to burden the Thessalonians. So this is, this is what I know about Paul. Paul was bivocational. He was not just a minister, uh, but he also had a job. He could make tents by vocation. He was a tent maker on the side. He did that on the side. And so he preached the gospel, but there were times where he made tents in order to support himself, to help himself. And so in this case, he labored along. He, he, he was a minister, but he labored along. He didn't want to be a burden to them. Look at this, verse 10. You are my witness, and God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know, for you know how, like a father, everyone say mother, everyone say brother, everyone say father. How like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of of God who calls you to his own kingdom and glory. So finally here, Paul compares himself to a father. And my job as a father and my job as a dad is to exhort and in to encourage my children. And, and he exhorted the, Thess uh, the Thessalonians to walk in a manner worthy of God. Let me ask you this. What manner are you walking? Is it worthy of the Lord? Is there areas that you can improve? Paul, is he's a wonderful model of what a leader should be in ministry. Uh, oh, that we'd be like, like, a, like a nursing uh, mother of a, a, or a mother of a nursing child who don't grow weary with people when they're upset and when they're struggling and when they're hurting and when they're squirming. But as leaders, we say, you know what? We got you. We love you. Hey, it's going to be okay. Let me put my arms around. Let me pray for you. Let me listen to you for a little bit. Oh, that we'd be like a brother, that we would be laboring as we go along and as, we, as, as we're going along and struggles or we're helping each other out. We're not in competition with each other, but we're building each other up. Oh, that we would be like a father, that we would exhort each other and say, hey, you've got this. Don't be afraid. Speak the truth. This is amazing to me because there are traits here in, of the Trinity. The, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to comfort. It's what it does. It comforts us in times. And the work of the Son is to lay, he labored among us and and does uh, 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 does like a working brother, according to Hebrews 2.11, it says that. And the work of the father is, is to exhort and challenge his children, as does an encouraging parent, Romans 8.16. So look at this, verse 13 says this. And we also thank God constantly. For this is that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us. You accepted it not as the word of men, but that it really, uh, but what it really is, the word of God. Everyone say the word of God. The word of God which is at work in you believers. Here's the thing. The word of God has got to be at work in us. It's got to be at work in us. And, and how closely are the written word and the living word, Jesus Christ, related? Look at this. I want to show you something, right? Uh, John 1.1 1, 1 says what? In the beginning was the Word, 
and the word was with God, talking about who? Jesus Christ. So look at this. So look, both are truth. John 14, 16 and John 17, 17. You need a reference. Both are light. John 8, 12 and Psalms 119, 105. Both are bread. John 6, 35, Matthew 4, 4. So, so the word, the word of God and Jesus Christ, okay, are the same. Okay, look at this. So people ask, why we spend so much time on Bible studies? Why, why do you do these on Wednesday night? Why do you break it down? Why do we, why do we look at so, Scripture at such a deep level when we get together? Because guess what? I believe that this is the Word of God, and it will radically alter you and change you. Amen? It will influence you, and it will change who you are. Look at this. Verse 14 says this. For you, brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as did the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets. Talking about those back in Judea, but talking about uh, uh, in Israel. And, and, and drove us out, uh, I'm sorry, uh, and did for the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus Christ and the prophets and drove us out. And displease God and oppose all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles uh, as they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure uh, of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. So he's saying this. That's a whole mouthful there, sorry. He's saying this. You are following the footsteps of the Jewish believers in Judea who were persecuted and the countrymen there who died and, and who struggled. And Paul reminds the Thessalonians that, hey, you are not alone. Can I tell you something? You might be going through a trial, but you are not alone. Do you know that there are believers in other cities across this nation and other countries across this world who are going through the same trials and the same situations? And listen, the trial that you're going through, you are not alone. Paul reminds them that, hey, you're not alone. He, he would go on to tell Timothy that all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Second Timothy. And here we go. Paul's longing to see them again. Look at this. So Paul had not been there. He had went three weeks, and then he's writing them, them this letter a little bit later. It says this, verse 17. But since we were torn away from you, they were ripped away, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly, uh, uh, the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. How many of you guys uh, can say, hey, there's some people that you haven't seen face to face in a long time that you'd love to just see face to face, right? If the, if the pandemic didn't teach us anything, being apart from people is to take advantage of the time that we have when we are with people, right? So Paul's saying that, I miss your face. I miss you guys' faces. I wish I was there with you uh, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. Um, oftentimes in our lives, I think as believers, sometimes we underestimate Satan's ability to hinder people um, from the service or the fellowship uh, uh, or, or even worship. You know what? The devil's goal is to stop ministry, is, is, is to stop ministry, not just the church, but also in your life. The devil 
wants to see you sitting idle doing nothing. But when you get, <laughs> it's, it's amazing because I had this conversation this week with someone. When you start doing something for, for the Lord, when you start making traction in ministry, when you start doing something, when you start building your life up, guess what? The enemy will hit you in all directions. He'll try to discourage you. He'll send people to say things to you that you thought, man, why are you even saying that to me? He'll use people to hinder you and to trip you up. Did you know your life is a ministry? Your life is a, everyone point yourself and say, my life is a ministry. All right. Every day, every day, you have the ability to shine the light of Jesus everywhere you go. Every day, you have that ability to do that. And here's the good news. Here's the good news. I know the enemy, man, he comes in like a roaring lion, right? We know that. And he sometimes we underestimate him. But here is the good news. He that is in you is, is greater than he that is in the world. Amen? Jesus Christ in you is greater than he that is in the world. So there's nothing that the devil can throw at you that, that Jesus has not already beat. We all have, uh, we do have a real adversary who, who will do whatever it takes to stop ministry and to stop a life that is flowing and moving for the Lord. Look at this, verse 19, final verse. For what is our hope? I love this. Everyone say hope. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord uh, Jesus at his coming? Talking about the Lord's coming is not in you. For you are our glory and joy. Talking about Jesus Christ. Here's the thing. Paul had been beaten in the city there in Thessalonica. He had been chased down by envious Jews. They were going through real persecution, struggle. Anybody been beaten for the Lord this week? I didn't think so. We live in a great country that we don't have to worry about some of those persecutions. But, but Paul's saying this, it's all worth it because people are getting saved. Lives are being changed. And you know how I know, I, when I look at Paul's life, his, his view was not on the struggle. His view was not temporal. His view was eternal. It was on the hope of Jesus Christ. It was the big picture, not just what was happening in front of him. And I believe one of the greatest joys in the world is seeing someone get saved. Has anyone, anybody in here, you ever had the opportunity for someone's life to be turned around and saved because of, of, of maybe you speaking into their life? Or maybe you led them to the Lord in Christ. Anybody ever had that experience? That is one of the greatest joys to watch God transform someone and, and to move in them and to be used by the Lord to, 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 to see their life changed around. It, it, it's amazing to see them saved, to see them, uh, maybe you prayed with them, maybe you were lifting them up in prayer, or maybe you witnessed, witnessed to them, and they finally came to Christ. Luke 15, 7 says this, that when one person is saved, heaven breaks out in rejoicing. When one person is saved, heaven breaks out in rejoicing. And oftentimes, man, I can't help but just, just think this in our lives. When someone comes to know Christ here 
in one of our, our meetings and one of our services, man, we ought to be excited. We ought to be pumped up because heaven's throwing a party. We ought to be just join in right there with heaven. And truly, truly this, truly the joy and evangelism, those two things go hand in hand. Those two things really do. They go hand in hand. And may we, may we never lose the joy of sharing salvation to non-believers in our lives. Again, I like this. He ends by, by, by taking, uh, talking about the coming of, of Jesus Christ, the blessed hope. How many are excited about the day that Jesus returns? How many are ready to leave this world and all its sorrows and to be made whole? I, I, it was amazing. I, 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 I don't want to allude back to this story too much, but as I was talking to Cheryl, and she has just recently lost her dad. She's not here tonight. And, and I was talking to her about heaven, and I said, I've just been really just just in thinking about heaven. It's just where my mind's been. I, I don't know why, but, but it's the big picture, and I'm just thinking about heaven and how great things and how trivial these, the things in this world truly are. And she said, you know, and I think about that. She goes, and I think about my dad who, who is in heaven right now who, who just passed away recently, and he has a perfect body, and he is praising the Lord. And I thought, man, and, and she was telling me she's, she's had a few back surgeries. She said she was telling me she used to be a gymnast. And I said, Cheryl, when you get to heaven, I know that one, you're going to be the person that's going to be doing backflips going through the pearly gates. That's going to be you. She goes, absolutely I will, Pastor. That's what I'm going to do. How many are excited about that day? All the pain, all the sorrow gone, all the struggles, all the conflict gone. Scripture says that every tear will be wiped away. No sorrow, perfect, perfect peace. Everything that you ever need, amen. Can you, can you do this? Will you bow your heads with me? Lord, we thank you for this word. God, we are grateful for the hope of heaven. God, I pray, Lord, that it would be instilled in our hearts, God, in a fresh way. God, many of us, Lord, we may have grown complacent, God, in this life. God, we are to live in this life. God, we are to, to do what we're supposed to do. But, God, our eyes are on heaven. God, this life is just but a vapor, Lord, it's what the scripture says. Lord, we're here one second, God, and we're gone the next. But, God, our hope is on eternal things. Lord, I pray tonight, Lord, that in this time, Lord, those who might be going through trouble, troublesome times, those who may be struggling in their spirit, God, I pray, Lord, that you would give them the peace that they need. God, let the grace of God begin to just pour over them in this moment. God, as we set our eyes on things above, the hope coming good, hope of expectation of coming good. God, may we be like the man in the bottom of the tugboat where it seemed impossible and a hand reaches, reaches out. God, that the saving hand of Jesus would be there to remind us, hey, I've got you. What seems like an impossible situation. God, Lord, you make a way. God, Lord, you made a way with your son. God, may we see that, God, in a dark and a dying world. God, may we be the voice and the people that you've called us to be, Lord, to reach our friends, to reach our neighbors, to love our neighbors, to love on people, God, like you've called us to do. God, we'll give you the praise. God, I pray, Lord, that this word would just seal in our hearts. Lord, I pray, Lord, that it would go deep into our hearts, Lord, that it would just 
maybe maybe the fruit of this word, the seed tonight, may not come fru- to fruition right away. But God, I pray, Lord, that it is watered, Lord, that we grow in you. And God, I just ask this in your name we pray. And everybody said, amen.